0: I'm Maria Bartiromo.
1: I'm Greg Gutfeld.
0: I'm Liz Klayman, and this is the Fox News Rundown.
1: Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. President Biden is in the Middle East on a trip that'll take him to Saudi Arabia.
2: He gotta get his tail back here. You gotta come back to the United States of America and tell the political, the progressive left inside his own party that our dream was a lie that with this transition away from fossil fuels is going to take time. I'm Jessica
3: Rosenthal. Elon Musk said no deal, and then posted a meme of himself laughing about the Twitter deal he was ending on Twitter. Attorneys for Twitter then said, we'll see you in court. It's not yet clear who will have the last laugh.
4: They're gonna take it in the court and there'll be many experts, many lawyers, you know, many fees paid out to make the both sides of the case, and then at that point, the yeah, the judge will decide.
5: And I'm Tammy Bruce. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. President Biden
1: took a late night flight, starting a trip to the Middle East. This trip will reinforce a vital American role in a strategically consequential region. That's National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. Israel is the first stop. Then the president will go to the West Bank and meet with the Palestinian president. He'll also go to Saudi Arabia. The president believes that the price of gas is too high and that we need to do more with respect to global energy supplies. And he will take every step in his power both here at home and in terms of his diplomatic engagement in the world to try bring that about. Now, President Biden will not be going to Iran, but that country will certainly be part of the discussions.
2: What they have said they're trying to do is to build out a coalition to push back against Iran. Former Secretary
1: of State Mike Pompeo is now a Fox News contributor.
2: But what they've done has been just the opposite of that. They've allowed the Iranian regime to have wealth and resources and money. The Iranians are now, according to National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, going to provide drones for the Russians to kill more Ukrainians. They've pushed away our friends, our partners in Kingdom Saudi Arabia, calling them a pariah nation. And then it sounds like the president is going to uh, visit what what he would call the West Bank and go visit the Palestinians uh, when he should be working with the Israeli government to push back against Iran to support the Israelis, to, to make clear that Jerusalem is the capital, right? Uh, something that they've pushed back against, saying we're going to put our consulate in Jerusalem as well, a consulate inside the country of Israel. The words that they've used about what they're hoping to accomplish on this trip are deeply inconsistent with the actions they have taken in their first t- first 18 months in office are right, you talking about iran
1: the president in a washington post op-ed wrote that after my predecessor reneged on a nuclear deal that was working iran passed a law mandating the rapid acceleration of the nuclear program blaming the acceleration on the u.s pulling out of that deal and then he wrote the united states found itself isolated and alone by that decision what's your response
2: it's counterfactual false. Uh, you you picked the description. Um, I just always turn to facts. Iran has never been more isolated. I can prove it. Their economy was failing, and the uh, Biden administration came in, uh, lifted the sanctions that we'd had in place by seeking to tell everyone we're not going to enforce them. That is a wink and a nod. Uh, And the Iranian economy will grow this year. This year, the Ukrainian economy will grow faster than the American economy. And so if you're looking for the path forward, uh, you need only ask the Israelis, the Emiratis, the Kuwaitis, the Omanis, the Israelis, frankly, the American people as well. Uh, We had isolated in Iran that they had never been isolated before. We had denied them the wealth and resources to build out their nuclear program, as they have done over at least the last 18 months, where it has accelerated. This creates enormous risk for the American people and for the Israelis, our good friend and partner in the region, and that is dangerous.
1: Now, Vladimir Putin, the Russian leader, he will go to Iran next week, and he's going to have meetings with not just Iran's leader, but also the president of Turkey, Erdogan. Turkey is a NATO member. What do you make of this trip?
2: So it's always been a complicated relationship i hope that president erdogan is going there to tell the russians and the iranians uh, that they need to change their ways i doubt that that's going to be successful for him we'll have to see what comes from the meeting but make no mistake about it if one looks to make sure that we don't have to send our young kids to fight and die in the middle east something that for four years we prevented from happening in the trump administration if you want to keep our kids from having to go solve problems in the middle east the way to do that is to put pressure on the world's largest state sponsor, Terry, the Iranian regime, to support the Iranian people. Today, there are protesters protesting in the streets of Iran, and the administration hasn't even encouraged them, hasn't even supported them. They'll likely be bludgeoned by the Iranian leaders. We should support the Iranian people, oppose the Iranian theocracy, and help our Arab state allies have the resources they need to defend their own nations. President Biden's plan
1: to go to Saudi Arabia is not without controversy. He'll meet with the king and the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, who the CIA concluded ordered the 2018 murder of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi. During a presidential debate on MSNBC November twentieth, 2019, then-candidate Joe Biden said he would punish the Saudis. I would make it very clear we were not going to, in fact, sell more weapons to them. We were going to, in fact, make them pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. In 2018, Secretary of State Pompeo called the murder heinous, but urged the Senate not to condemn the crown prince, saying it would upend a plan to stop the Saudis conflict with rebels in Yemen.
2: Passing a resolution at this point undermines that. It would encourage the Houthis. It would encourage the Iranians. It would it would undermine the fragile agreement.
1: Well, the Senate ultimately did pass that resolution
2: condemning the crown prince. The kingdom of Saudi Arabia has been an important security partner for the United States of America for an awfully long time. And if you go actually read what the CIA said, it's a bit different than you described it. Okay. But be, that, but be that as it may, the importance of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is evidenced by the fact that Joe Biden is headed there this week. The President Biden is headed there this week. He sees that he made a mistake when he campaigned by saying we're going to make them a pariah state, the threat to the people of America. We put America first for four years. The threat to the United States of America doesn't come from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia or from the Emirates or from Kuwait or among the threat to the United States of America comes from the Iranian regime. And we should be resolved and focused and be working with our partners in the region to push back to protect the American people from that very threat.
1: OK, well, what about the human rights issues? What about something the, the issue like with Khashoggi, like with the crown prince? There, there, there's still a lot of emphasis on him and what happens with human rights in Saudi Arabia. How do you have them as a partner and still deal with that issue at the same time like President Biden says he's
2: going to do? Uh, this is not difficult at all. Uh, America's interest and our commitment to human rights is consistent. Uh, we're, the, we're the greatest, most a fundamentally decent nation in the world but we end up meeting with chairman kim i met with vladimir putin i met with the taliban we we deal with lots of actors in the world who are difficult and ornery and don't share our values that's we're working to deliver good outcomes for the american people we should never lose sight of that if you're looking for who the bad actor is in the middle east the iranians have killed far more people than the saudi's ever could have even be accused of right this is not a close call And President Biden talks about the Middle East and fails to even so much as mention Afghanistan, where we left Americans behind. We always press for every nation to be better. And in fact, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is getting better under the leadership of this king. And now this crown prince, the human rights situation in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is far better for the average woman in Saudi Arabia today than it was two years ago, four years ago, or 10 years ago. It may not be happening fast enough. We may wish that it were uh, even better, but I don't think there, anyone can look at the Saudi Arabia of today and deny that the human rights situation in Saudi Arabia is better today for the average Saudi citizen than it was before the crown prince had become the crown prince. Of
1: course, President Biden is going to be discussing with uh, the Saudis and others in that region the issue of oil. We have seen the price of oil and gasoline come down in the last month or so, but It's still an issue with the ongoing war in Ukraine, with Russia and the sanctions. What do you think the president should say?
2: We know what the real cause of this problem is. It is not the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It is not Vladimir Putin. It is President Biden. President Biden made a clear decision. He talked in the campaign about saying we're not going to do fossil fuels in the United States anymore. We're not going to drill. We're not going to frack. He said we're not going to do it. When you tell, and he's told banks, don't invest in these things, don't help finance these transactions that allow us to produce our own energy. For four years, America was energy dominant. We had affordable energy so people could drive their cars, so people could afford the the electricity to cool their homes in the summer and heat their homes in the winter. Food wasn't as expensive because energy is a huge component of food costs as well. This president has chosen the green climate mantra. He has chosen Greta Thunberg over the American people. And when you do that the american people are going to suffer and so you know i hope he'll be able to convince OPEC and the kingdom of saudi arabia to produce some more energy but the, the answer to providing affordable energy for the american people is right here at home and he ought to get his tail back here you he got to come back to the united states of america and tell the political the progressive left inside his own party that our dream was a lie that with this transition away from fossil fuels is going to take time and that America is going to produce the energy it needs on an affordable basis today to protect the American way of life.
1: But the price of gas did go up more than a dollar after the invasion of Ukraine. Russia is still in the middle of that war. We've put sanctions on them. Do you agree with the sanctions we've put on Russia? Should we be doing more?
2: Oh, no. We've gotten it completely wrong. The ruble is still very, very high. We've failed to impose sanctions on them that actually can impact what we all want. We all want this war to end. We are looking for a way to make this conflict vanish, to save the Ukrainian people's lives, to protect Europe, and to protect the American people as well. We've put sanctions on that are half measures. The, the ruble is as high today as it was when the war started back in February. We, we know that people in Moscow aren't suffering, right? They, they've not been impacted. But it just tells you that these sanctions haven't, haven't been successful at putting pressure on Vladimir Putin. We should have been more serious. We should have provided more weapon systems to the Ukrainians so they could defend themselves. Had we done those things, we would have increased the likelihood that Vladimir Putin's perception of risk, as it was for four years. When I was the CIA director and secretary of state, for four years, he did not invade Ukraine. He took Crimea during the Obama administration. He's now invaded Ukraine under the Biden administration. But for four years, he didn't do this. I think it's because he understood that we were serious about protecting America.
1: All right. You mentioned uh, Secretary of State, CIA director. I have to ask you also, of course, a member of Congress from Kansas. Not a bad presidential resume. Is that a job that you want? Are you seriously considering a
2: run? I'm very focused on making sure that the conservative ideas that I've been working on for decades get pushed forward. The next chance to do that is in November, just a handful of months away. So I'm out helping others campaign. At the end of the year, Susan and I will pray and think and make a decision about how best we can do a good turn for a country that's been so good to both of us. And uh, who who knows what that will bring? Uh, I've spent time in Iowa and New Hampshire uh, doing the things that one might do, we'll we'll make that decision come first of the year.
1: All right. One follow up, I have to ask: If Donald Trump is a candidate, would you run?
2: We won't be impacted by who else chooses to get in or or chooses not to get in in that very important, very faithful decision that uh, every individual has to make for themselves.
1: Well, fair enough, and I and I appreciate you answering both those questions. Thank you very much. Former Secretary of State, current Fox News contributor, Mike Pompeo. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, sir. Have a good day.
1: Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the show as we dive
4: deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash
5: watch. This is Tammy Bruce with your Fox News commentary coming up.
3: He's the founder of Tesla and SpaceX, and he was on track to own Twitter, according to an agreement reached in late April.
0: Tesla CEO Elon Musk will buy Twitter for $54.20 a share or $44 billion in a deal that will take the popular microblogging service private.
3: But last week, Musk announced the deal was off, and in a letter from his attorney said Twitter is in material breach of multiple provisions of that April agreement, and said the company appears to have made false and misleading representations. The letter cites a lack of information over bots, insisting that Musk had spent two months trying to get the data to make an independent assessment of the prevalence of fake or spam accounts. Twitter wrote in their own letter that they have breached nothing Thing. and Tuesday, the company
1: formally sued Musk. The fact that he ripped a bandaid off Friday night was a shocker to the street. I think it was a shock to Twitter. And now they sharpen their knives going to the Delaware court.
3: Wedbush securities analyst Dan Ives told Fox Business the worst thing that happens to Musk is that a court orders him to follow through with the purchase.
1: If you look up the term awkward, that would probably be uh, the, the definition of what happens there. And you know, I think at that point, it's probably likely some sort of settlement. If that ultimately ended up, because, look, for Twitter, the last thing you want is someone own your company that they want to own in the first place.
3: Musk had threatened to walk before this if the company couldn't show that less than five percent of its daily active users were automated spam accounts. Last week, Twitter said in a call to executives that they remove one million spam accounts a day and that spam accounts represent well below five percent of its active user base each quarter. In the lawsuit, Twitter says Musk believes he is free to change his mind, trash the company, disrupt its operations, destroy stockholder value, and walk away. The company requests an expedited trial for the case to be heard in September.
4: This is going to go on the court. And in the courtroom decision, you know, the court could force Mr. Musk to buy at the $44 billion number, you know, to engage in satisfying performance. David Larker is a
3: professor and director of the Corporate Governance Research Initiative at the Stanford Graduate School of Business.
4: You know, they could say you could walk away and you may, you know, depending on how they view it, it could be for zero money or a billion dollars or maybe more than that. Or, you know, there's always a possibility for renegotiating this thing. Um yeah, that's always couldn't then
3: though if you renegotiate, couldn't shareholders say, Hey, <laughs> you agreed to buy this for fifty-four, you know, fifty four dollars and twenty cents a share. Could could shareholders sue if, if Twitter agrees to a lower price?
4: Well, in the US, given our our legal system, there will be many, many lawsuits filed on this. But <laughs> you're right. I mean, if you put yourself in the position of the board of Twitter, I mean, I think they did a really nice job. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. They got an unsolicited offer, formed a special committee, and the independent directors got outside legal and, and finance counsel. They thought about it and said, you know, fifty-four twenty seems seems okay. We'll do it. Contracts were written, both sides signed it, and then you know, financing was arranged. And at that point, you know, the deal typically progresses with you know, various due diligence and other kinds of things. So it's hard for a board, um, let's say a deal came back at, I'm, I'm making this up, $45 a share. You know, is that an acceptable deal? Can the boards, you know, look at that and say, yeah, we agreed at fifty four twenty, dollars We thought that was a good deal. But for whatever reasons there might be. We're willing to take it for 45 but i mean it puts the board in a really tough position and so i think the board looked at this and said you know 54 20 seems pretty good for a price per share and now we might be able to get a billion dollar breakup fee and you know what's the chances that that we could get a favorable ruling where to get more than a billion dollars and so they're going to take it into court and there'll be many experts many lawyers yeah, you how know, many fees paid out to make the both sides of the case, and then at that point, you know, the judge will decide.
3: Yeah, let me ask you, because um, you know, Musk said that Twitter was in material breach of multiple provisions, as we've all read that letter, and that they may have made false and misleading representations. We know, as he has said and his attorneys said in that letter, that the issue is fake or spam accounts. Musk's attorneys say He wanted to do an independent assessment of such accounts and that, by Twitter's own admission, they didn't provide enough data for such an assessment. And they reference a letter written to this effect on June 29th. Twitter attorneys say the company will continue to provide information reasonably requested by Musk under the agreement. Does this then come down to what was specifically stated in the original agreement from April 25th. In other words, if Musk right. wanted all of this information about bots or spam accounts, then what was agreed to on April 25th is the issue.
4: Oh, that's exactly right. I mean, so it's going to turn on contract law and merger and acquisition law. And you know I, I haven't read the contracts in grisly detail, but yeah, there'll be specific <laughs> things in there that you know, if you don't do this, then you're in breach and a variety of remedies will take place or things like that. But yeah, I mean, it's all going to turn on, I'd say expert opinion and legal opinion with regard to what was in the contract, what's considered a breach, did Twitter give information in a timely manner, you know, was, were the truthful representations. And then, I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, the data analysts uh, hired by Mr. Musk will look at this and, and say, you know, we think it's way more than five percent, and you know there was issues here that weren't appropriately disclosed by Twitter. Now, I'm sure Twitter has analyzed this stuff in some detail, and um, so it'll be a, a little bit of a battle between experts as what was the number, and once the number is maybe agreed to, then the legal system will come along and say, is that, a, is that material? So, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns here, but yeah, I mean, I think we understand the steps that we're going to go through and, and the analysis that's going to be brought into court and that'll all be pulled together. And the judge or the chancellor, or whoever's going to do this, you know, will, will make a reasoned decision, but, uh, the size of the deal is something I don't think the, the Delaware courts have, have looked at. So, I mean, this is going to be a very, very important decision it will set the precedent going forward.
3: Yeah, I have to ask you about that meme, Musk himself tweeted. I'm sure you've seen it. I think everybody's seen it. I think it has over a million likes at this point. It's of him laughing um, harder and harder as the commentary goes on. It says, they said I couldn't buy Twitter. Then they wouldn't disclose bot info. Now they want to force me to buy Twitter in court. Now they will have to disclose bot info in court. I don't know legally how this will how this will work, if if that issue will be forced, but... It does sound like what you're saying is okay. If if you want to get into this over what's a material breach, then we will have to have this discussion about whether or not Twitter was supposed to um, turn over that kind of information.
4: Yeah, and whether they did turn it over in a timely manner, was it the information that was needed? So, I mean, this is where you're going to have first-class data analysis people on both sides saying, you know here's what we think the number is but even after that sort of settle or you know the sides have their own numbers i mean let's say the number was 15 percent. would the court view that as a material breach i i really don't know but i mean that's the path right we're going down you know the, the tweet about um they said we couldn't buy twitter and you know all that kind of stuff i don't i don't think it does you a lot of good i don't think you get a lot of sympathy in court for those kind of statements
3: As somebody who studies corporations and these sorts of matters, were you surprised when you heard that Elon Musk waived due diligence on this
4: deal? So that was what was reported. I mean, I think you'd really have to know whether that was literally true. And I suspect that it's not quite as straightforward as that. Um, You know, that'd be a very cavalier thing to do. And again, it's going to turn on the legal definitions in Mm -hmm. here. I mean, you know, there were obviously parts of the transaction where he had to line up the financing. If he couldn't line up the financing, you know, they would have a break. Um, But apparently the financing was lined up and there were, you know, contracts to to make it happen. I I find it hard to believe that there's a complete waiver of due diligence. But again, I wasn't in the room. And so I I don't really know.
3: Yeah, there, there's another sort of unconfirmed thing that's floating out there that Twitter gave Musk a fire hose so that he could analyze each tweet in real time. Again, not confirmed by either side, but it it does sort of beg the question, right? And you've kind of referenced this earlier. Just as somebody who pays attention to what corporations should do and have, do you believe Twitter probably does have? This information. I mean, they they've admitted that they remove a million spam accounts a day. In your mind, is it probably likely that they have the information Musk is looking for? Like, how many spam or bot or fake accounts yeah. are there?
4: No, I mean they clearly do some sort of analysis like that. I mean, their advertisers would require them, you know, to remove what appears to be fake uh, hits. I mean, because you know that would have an impact on the the cost of advertising on Twitter, but the debate is going to be how you define these things and what does a bot really look like, you know, and you pointed out the fire hose of data. I mean, that's just the nature of this. There's, you know, know, many many (laughs) transactions and, and, but, you know, think about the, the flip side of this Let's say you didn't provide the fire hose of information and you provided selective pieces of it. Then the comeback would be, well, you're hiding something. You only gave us, part that you wanted to give us where, you know, here's the whole thing in some structured format. So, I mean, it's huge data. There's ways to sample it and things like that. But I mean, part of it's going to turn on, I think, you know, what is the bot? How many were there? You know, did Twitter, you know, have misleading disclosure, things like that? That'll be a key part of
2: this thing.
3: So Twitter sued in the Chancery Court in Delaware. The New York Times says this is a court of equity rather than law as it allows for more flexible resolutions than the law formally provides. They've dealt with business issues before and acquisitions, um, even forcing Tyson to get over what it called buyer's regret when it tried to back out of taking over a meat distributor nearly two decades ago, right?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think that the Delaware courts do try to buying something that seems equitable. Um, And they've done this a lot. It's just, this one is just so big and the players are so visible. um, It's going to be a tough one. I mean, you don't want to come across as looking like you've been bullied by one side or the other. And, you know, it's a fair representation and, you know, what's equitable. So, you know, the outcome, as we talked about earlier, it can be many things, but, it's just—it's worth watching, and um, it'll be fascinating.
3: Professor David Larker, thank you so much for your time.
4: Thank you.
1: Other
0: news. I'm Gianna Gelosi. Ask any dog owner about their beloved pooch, and you're bound to get a personality breakdown likened to that of a dating app biography. He loves to play fetch, but hates the water. Shy, but quirky when he gets to know you. Some pets even are chosen based on their breed stereotypes, like a golden retriever being a good family dog, or a German Shepherd as a good guard dog. But a recent study published in the journal Science shows breed has less to do with personality than we may have once thought. Researchers set up a website called Darwin's Ark, which collected survey and genetic data from dogs across the U.S. since 2015. Pet parents answer more than 100 questions, and then they swab their dog's cheek for some DNA sequencing. Thousands of dogs were surveyed and sequenced. It was the largest study of its kind. The result? At least 80% of appearance can be tied to DNA, like a Dalmatian's spots or a Border Collie's curled tail. But personality is a whole different ball field. Behaviors like a retriever retrieving are likely inherited, but less than one quarter of personality differences could be explained by the genetics, like how friendly a dog is or how playful a dog is. Researchers also did not find a genetic basis for aggressive behaviors, a point that's long been argued by pit bull owners. The bottom line, man's best friend, they're just like us. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi.
1: Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tammy Tammy Bruce. What's on your mind?
5: As a former leftist, I can tell you that the best way to gauge the woke strategy of the left is to watch what's happening in San Francisco and London. In both cities, there is little pushback by opponents, and they tend to serve as petri dishes for the left's cancerous agenda. So when the left's agenda begins to fail in these supposedly liberal utopias, it's our first sign that the tide is turning against the fearmongers, censors, bullies, and wokesters. San Franciscans sent the world a message when they recalled three progressive school board members and their far left district attorney. However, the nefarious agenda of the left isn't reserved just for the United States. And much like here, there are signs that the people of England have had enough of the left's absurd social justice nonsense. In this glorious example of how the rejection of the woke left is becoming universal, England is now stepping up with a new law mandating that new buildings housing offices must include single-sex bathrooms. For a country that has been putting up with forced sharing of bathrooms, euphemistically called gender neutral facilities, the British have had enough. The New York Post reported a British government source told The Telegraph, quote, it is vital that women feel safe and comfortable when using public facilities and that there is a greater emphasis on provision that is focused on dignity, privacy, tolerance and respect for all. The paper reported that ministers are likely to present the new policies as a common-sense way to impede the recent trend in which gender-neutral bathrooms have become standard in newly constructed buildings. Common sense, indeed. But England isn't done. In what is being called the biggest PR blunder in British banking history, the social media team for the British banking brand Halifax thought it was a good idea to announce on Twitter that its employees would have their pronouns listed on their name badges. They explained this was necessary to keep people from accidentally misgendering their staff. Let's just say that their customers' reaction on social media was swift and not complimentary. Further proving that enough is enough everywhere on the wokeism front. The Daily Mail reports the row began when Halifax tweeted its 118,000 followers, revealing that it would allow staff to display their pronouns on their name badges in a post that read pronouns matter. After being roasted on social media by furious customers, a tweet from Halifax appeared just 20 minutes later, smugly stating, quote, We strive for inclusion, equality, and quite simply, doing what's right. If you disagree with our values, you're welcome to close your account. Signed by an Andy M. Halifax should be taking a hint at what Netflix understands about alienating your customer base. It's not exactly the best business practice. As fast as you can say canceled, it became clear people were taking Andy up on his suggestion. And it appears it's not just a gaggle of 20-something social justice activists undermining the bank via its social media account. On their website... They actually threaten to close the accounts of people they deem transphobic and even threaten to turn those people into the police. The thought police are ready to turn you in for wrong speak. It's madness, yes, and a perfect example of the destruction the left would bring to every business it infects, no matter the country, city, or industry. It also highlights the antidote of customers and citizens speaking up, rejecting, and condemning it. Let's hope the people from San Francisco to London Continue to show everyone the way out of the leftist abyss.
1: You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to foxnews.com. Guy Benson join me weekdays at 3 p.m Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at guybensonshow.com it's time to take the quiz five questions five minutes
0: a day five days a week take the quiz every weekday at the quiz.fox and then listen
5: to the quiz podcast to find out how you did play share and of course listen to the quiz at the quiz.fox.